This work was created on the unceded lands of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. This is a fictional podcast, and any names and stories bearing resemblance to real people are coincidental. And if you're joining us for the first time, welcome. May I suggest you head back to start at episode one. Hi, I'm Tony Lee, and I'm Development Executive at Fakehouse Pictures. It's Friday morning, the 16th of December, the fifth and final day of our week of development at Channel 8. The pitch is today. Unsurprisingly, they forgot to book us a space today, so we're in some strange, dusty room that smells like they forgot to seal the walls, and there's a hum of electricity that seems to course through the floors. And we're back on those plastic fold-up chairs. Yet every day we turn up to, like, a new hot pile of shit. But they still <laughs> expect us to work through that and still do some plotting. Okay. I just... <laughs> can't. The hot pile of shit that Mina refers to is the open letter. Overnight, an industry colleague texts me saying an article is coming out that involves me. I kind of shrug it off because there are lots of articles coming out about Channel 8 and the writer's room and what happened with the photo on all kinds of different media. But this is different. At 12.01am, an opinion piece is published in a major Sydney newspaper. It's written by 28 industry heavyweights from diverse backgrounds. I'm talking about respected industry colleagues and people who I consider allies And they've co-written this long article. I'm going to take the liberty of sharing in my own words what I interpret the key points of this open letter to be. In a nutshell, they basically say that we're making a mountain out of a molehill in the ruckus we've caused around this publicity photo. They say that we shouldn't speak on behalf of everyone and that social media and cancel culture are distracting us from the work we should be doing. And then they list off the work they say we should be doing. Things like fighting funding cuts and keeping things Australian. Why would they, why, I don't understand, why did they write this? Why would they release it? It's just... I'm very confused as to why this is public. Why is it public? It could have been in your group chat. You could have yelled about it. You could have gone to bed. But the choice to choose that for some whatever reason this had to be, there needed to be a public shaming to what we were talking about the other day. There needs to be a public shaming in order for the viewers. It's the Caesars, Caesars like little Goliath, not Goliath, what's a gladiator, gladiator ring. It's the, there is something to be gained by people watching them reprimand us. Who was this letter for? Like, they didn't have no conversations with us. They didn't, like, you know, they could have said all this to us. You it know, feels it feels like the apology, themselves. the non yeah. apology apology. Steve and well, the rest of the execs could have come even, in here and talked well, about well, it. Well, they could have come and talked to any of us individually, one on one, as a group, in a, um, if they wanted to foster conversation and a space for discourse, they could have made that. They could have done that. Going to a major masthead and publishing your feelings as if they're fact is not fostering conversation. We spend a lot of time trying to figure out the motivation behind this open letter. We're confused as to why they're accusing us of speaking on behalf of everyone, 
when they appear to be doing the same thing, but just in mainstream media instead of on social media. What does it benefit them? Like, what are they actually achieving for themselves? I don't know. I, are they just achieving that people know that they are out of this fight? Trying to protect their own careers because Correct. we have made some noise and complained and they are saying, oh, no, 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 that's not us. They don't want to align themselves with us so that they can be on Channel 8's side and still get their mm. mainstream commercial television shows up. Because the narrative, would, the assumed narrative is that we were speaking on behalf of All everyone, every atypical totally. quotation marks. Yeah. Like some of the things that they said have actually been things I've been scared about. Like, you know, when they went on to say, like, why do these people, you know, claim to be the authority on these issues? Like... I've been so scared about speaking on behalf of my community because, you know, it's a big community and I can't just be the person to shoulder all of that. But then to have someone publish that and say that, not even talk to us about it, like just to And we're say not it. trying to be that. We're not, we're we not. We literally had like that whole conversation had, the very first day about how we all felt about yeah. being the singular, representing the very specific intersections that we all were sitting at. Yeah, so that we didn't do this, but yet again, like it's still used against us. No, also, like how much, like you know, complaining have we really done? I mean, <laughs> really think about it. Like, I mean, what sharing a post with like the side eye emoji, like oh god forbid, like that's it. That's, that's the extent of it. And yet, and now, like, and now it's like you should be thankful for this. It's like the fuck is that? Like that's oh come on, like. Yeah, even seeing that it's like on a major masthead, it's the response feels disproportionate, but also is proportionate to the way that the system reacts always. But it's like it, it was a total of one character um, response to a theme. And there has been the non-apology apology, all the internet stuff. And that like, what was it, 20 something, 30 some however many people have decided to put their names to this very public letter against 10 of us in this And room. let's not forget the interview we did. Gosh, you know, my head is spinning. I, I still feel responsible for this, um, even though... Anyway, but um, it strikes me like two things. One is the generational aspect of this letter, the fact that, as you all pointed out, these are folks who have been in, in the industry for a really long time. Grace puts this letter into a wider context, and it opens up a conversation about a potential generational divide. You're about to hear the group jumping onto this point, and it's important to acknowledge that in this private conversation, we make huge sweeping generalisations. And it strikes me that people from diverse backgrounds, and this includes age diversity, are often put in situations where we're pitted against each other, and it's extremely difficult to continuously control our emotions and reach for solidarity. Even though deep down I think we all know what's happening and that solidarity is the best path, it feels so personal that we're often at pains not to be reactive, especially when it feels like us versus them. Here's Grace continuing. Folks who have been in the industry for a really long time and also 
really came of age and got to where they are probably by, you know, it's a survival tactic, right? Like we all do it. I know it, there's a way in which you have to perform gratitude to the system. Um, and anger isn't an emotion that's allowed to be expressed. So we, with the side eye, expressed anger, and albeit in social media, which is also, it's not just Australia, right? It's global in terms of this, like, all the debates around cultural appropriation, around cancel culture, and I feel like it's so divided between folks, and I'm Gen X, so I'm like right in the middle, but younger people and like, and this, I, it's as if I feel like there's a kind of feeling amongst the older, more established artists, again, not just in Australia, but sort of this is a, I feel like it's a global phenomenon of like, what's happening to creativity, you know? And this idea of like political correctness dominating what should be art. You know, it's a I think it's a huge debate that we're seeing being played out here. Like, look, I'm, I'm mad. Like, I'm really fucking mad about it. I acknowledge the work that they've done in, you know, paved the way for us in this industry and all that. And the sacrifices they've made for us you know, as creatives of these generations to come forward and have these opportunities. I acknowledge that. But we are still making changes for the next generation. Things aren't perfect. It's okay to acknowledge that as well and not take away from the work that they've done, but, like, don't come for us because we are trying to make it better for the future. Is but I don't think they... Sorry. Yeah. I don't think they have paved the way, to be honest. They have, I, I think it is amazing that they have been able to get into the industry. Like, a lot of them are diverse. It would have been so hard for them to break into the industry. But if we're being honest, a lot of them have whitewashed themselves to make it. Mm. And, like, that is not the path for better social change. That is not a path that we can follow. Like, we have to be allowed to revolutionise for the next generation, like you're saying. And this kind of letter is so disturbing to see how far, like... I guess it is colonialism has imprinted itself on older generations' mindsets that they're actually doing the same sort of blocking that white people are doing to us to get ahead. Like, it's, it's scary because the, the damage, you can see the damage in that generation and they won't let us stop it like they're stopping us from making a change for the better i'm not making sense but i also think it's, it's that easy thing for them because they're sitting on the outside and looking in going like you know to quote unquote them like they're there saying that this is such a petty thing but i bet the second that it was them there would be a massive uproar. They're not emotionally connected to this. So it's very easy for them to sit out there and go, eh, me, 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 me. But I bet the tables were turned and it was them and it was a photo of them, bigger boobs, smaller boobs, whatever. Like, you know, or bad hair day or like, if it was anything remotely connected to them, I'm sure that they just, it's very safe. I also right feel like they've probably become inured to all of that. Yeah. Say again? What they've become inured. Like, they've, they're numb to like it. Like Teflon. Yeah. yeah. Because if you've gone through, I think, in any system, right? Like, if you've 
if you've been marginalized and in order to get ahead, you have to internalize that system. So at the same time as your, how do you say it, like drink the Kool-Aid or whatever, mm -hmm. right? And then you yourself can become the oppressor, which is what we're seeing. Oh, here, yeah, yeah. Right? And also exactly, they're inured to that because they've had to go through so much. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you can, you can, I think you can definitely see it. But it's such an act of betrayal. I think that's what we're yeah. all feeling. And I think it's the same thing as you were saying, Blake, of like, um, isn't the point to get better? Isn't that the point? The, isn't, isn't the point that, shouldn't the point be that they weathered what they did in order for us to then demand more so then the people after us can then demand more? Like, it shouldn't be, like, because they weathered, they have the tough enough skin to weather, even if they were in the room and didn't, which is a very false, like, dynamic to set up, that we didn't think it was problematic, therefore it's not. It's not a poll. Like, it's not, we no, don't tally up the votes and then that decides whether it's okay or not. Um, that if, if they have had to weather the conditions that have made them okay with that, the hope should be that we don't have to deal with that. The hope shouldn't be that we are all that tough. The well, clearly they don't us. think about us, and clearly they've been absorbed into a system that doesn't allow them to think about us, and mm. that's what's happening. Right. Like, we think that, you know, like um, Kiara was saying, that we would be thinking that, um, you know, what are these trails that we are you know, trailblazing for the ones to come after us? But our participation in this system almost requires us that once we go through a certain number of doors, we forget about the people that are counting on us. And I think that's what's happening and that's why it hurts more because we forget that these people have been absorbed into that system and actually, clearly, they are not thinking about us. We also react to the article's call for us to focus our advocacy elsewhere. Yeah. What about their point around focusing on the big things that affect the whole industry, like funding cuts? Like we can't, like we're not doing that as well, for crying out loud. I mean, is it all part of the same issue? If the funding is being cut, that means there's less money and it's going to the same people it always goes to because the system stays the same. I feel like the whole thing just speaks volumes about the reticence to revolutionise things that are not working. Like that funding cuts line is like, why don't we fight the funding cuts? Well, obviously the whole model of the way this industry relies on funding is not working. So why don't we revolutionise that instead of trying to fix something that is going to continue to break? And it's like the same thing with this conversation around diversity. Like. It feels like we're being forced to follow the mold that's already been set. We're not allowed to change anything. We're not allowed to make it new and better. It's always got to be some adjustment to some antiquated thing that is belongs in a museum. And as my, as the senior folks at Channel Eight like to say, evolution, not revolution. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. Put that on toast. Oh, that for breakfast. After a hectic morning, it's time to pitch. Sanvi and I head to meet Steve and some other executives. The rest of the writers' room return after lunch. In the chaos of the morning, Penny's jacket falls on top of the recorder, and so I don't see the recorder as I leave to pitch, and I forget to stop recording. I wasn't sure whether to even include this next conversation. 
because it was extremely uncomfortable for me to find and listen to. However, it's important to include to show just how messy and challenging the week was and how the mess of diversity work can manifest in so many different ways. So this is the room reflecting, questioning and criticising the events and people involved. First, they discuss the role that Sanvi has had to play. Look, while they're gone, how did they not know? Hmm. I was wondering where the letter came from, like who organised the whole thing? I think like we've all like, you know, like it's been very much like, you know, we have the big bus and Channel 8 and all these other mob like making up this letter and stuff. Um, and, you know, we've had to like put up our walls against that. But like I'm really reflecting on what's like happening internally. You know, there's a lot of conversations that haven't happened. Um, I, I haven't heard anything from um, Sanvi about like the photo. Um, what if these conversations have happened, we just weren't there? Mm. I don't know if you remember, Penny, um, a couple of days back, um, Sanvi pulled me aside, um, just gentle holding of the elbow, just to have a little chat. Um, and I don't know, I'm just haven't been super sure on how to read her after that or what. Why it I? just feels like a different energy that she's been bringing into the room where the conversation that we had was essentially oh, she asked me to she needed from above but also I understand for her own safety within it as well she needed me to verbally confirm that I wouldn't I wouldn't do or say anything that would jeopardize this project or the channel, whatever that means. What, um, what did you say? I didn't say that. I didn't say what she needed to hear. Um, I think that's when you came in. Well, <laughs> um, but was she threatening you or something? I don't know. I don't know. There's a lot of talk about code of conduct. and. I kind of remember you know. her saying the other day that she was... Didn't she say something about being forced to confront you? Did it feel forced? Uh, just came naturally. Yeah, <laughs> it just kind of had a, an ease to it. But I guess it's that thing, I don't know. It's, she may have, it may have been part of her job, but. She hasn't apologized At some point, yeah, at some point, at somewhere through that process, she felt like she needed to do that. And it's had weird, sometimes she's portraying herself to be like on our side. But since her inclusion in the room from the start, she's she's clearly the representative of Channel A. Mm -hmm. Have we just kind of forgotten that that she she's you know she's not technically one of us on our side? Mm. Did we forget that she's you know from Stephen? Really? How did how did her letter? get thrown out the window and a new one go through all these different people so and all these different departments and she didn't have any idea. Do you think that letter even exists? I don't I, know. I didn't read it. I didn't see one. I mean, yeah, like, like you know, they put out their letter and their statement on their website stuff. But like, Sanvi could have sent us the letter when she sent it off to mm. those other guys. You Again, know, the be... same approval thing. Yeah. Like, if, yeah, but... I don't know. What's her job, right? I mean... 
for Tony and Sonny both, this is their full-time job. So. And what's their priority? Exactly. The conversation turns to how I and Sanvi might think differently as people with the security of full-time jobs, as opposed to those who are freelance. It's a, it's a difficult position to be in, I guess. I mean, if that's your livelihood and that's yeah, I guess I your company on the line, it's your priorities are shifted. But but that could still be a conversation we could have, I guess. That could still be like, look, I'm like I'm here as a representative of Channel A, or I'm here as. Um, on behalf of Fetty House, like, in these conversations. Yeah, I feel like there's a theme of, like, um, that, like, shifting of priorities when it comes to, like, well, this is, like, they need to pay their mortgage or they have to pay their rent, whatever the thing is of, like, the that it complicates or murkies up the waters around what or who is a priority. But I think there's also that thing of, like, existing in these infrastructures, that thing of, like, I'm here for a week. We're here for a week. I am very minimally invested in Channel 8's long-term plan and vision. Or fake house pictures. Like, full respect to Tony, but I'm also like, I'm here for a week. I care about this project and you and your company minimally for seven days that you've paid me for. And a lot to put up with if you're only here for a week. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Finally, the conversation turns to me and whether the room trusts me or not. Well, you've all, you've all worked with them, not Sanvi, but Tony before, right? I mean, Tony and I met on the plane and, mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah, we have a friendship, but I haven't worked with her professionally until now. So I'm curious. I mean, I feel like it, I don't know, trust is weird because rarely do you find collaborators or spaces you can trust or that you feel safe in. It's just usually the lesser of two evils. Which of these spaces is going to be the least harmful? And, yeah, I don't know. Like, working with Tony is less exhausting than other places, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's the goal. Right. But maybe it's good enough. Maybe good enough is okay. I don't know. Like, start of the week, absolutely, I would say, yeah, I trust Tony. I mean, that's why rocked up here yeah like mm. i came here because i trusted tony tony's like come on you can share your voice you can you know um tell this amazing story and do what you want you know i was so excited to walk into this room and do that uh after this week i don't know i'm definitely questioning a lot of things i'm looking at actions i'm looking at you yeah. know i guess reading between lines and stuff i i, I don't know where i stand on that anymore the stakes feel higher because mm. we were brought in, you know, to an extraordinary group of people to work with, extraordinary co- collaborators, and we kind of set out to do something that's quite original and that's, you know, that's required very personal parts of ours. Mm-hmm. So our past relationship with Tony, well, you know, I guess I do trust her, but it does feel like this one requires a huge amount of trust. Um, now that now that we're in, I can really feel it. Hey guys. Okay. Um, service coming soon. Oof, got some feedback for you. All right. Oh, feedback. Yes, we do. This is diversity work. Diversity work is disagreeing about what diversity work is. 
Diversity work is work that is impossible to do as an individual. Diversity work is work that relies on individuals. Diversity work is messy. Diversity work is uncomfortable. In the next episode, we get some interesting feedback on our pitch. Diversity Work was directed and edited by me, Pearl Tan, and co-created and performed by Pearl Tan, Anna Maria Bello, George Coles, Madison Coles, Emily Dash, More Blessing Mature, Jane Park, Priya Roy, Amy Stewart, and Susie Rong. Sound recording by Ingrid Raoul. Sound design and mixing by Raquel Cuevas. <laughs> <laughs>